Hey guys, thanks for tuning into episode 33 of Sheer Crime. I'm Amy. And I'm Kenzie. And today we're back to covering another episode in the A&E series, Cults and Extreme Belief, The Children of God. With such a wholesome sounding name, you'd hardly expect to find that this group was founded by a pedophile who used scripture to excuse the many ungodly things occurring within. Families lived together in communal areas all around the world, used religious prostitution to recruit more members, and sexualized children on a daily basis. Videotaped strip teases and orgies were sent to the leader, David Berg, in a sort of tribute to his preachings. Many, many people have been able to escape the abuse, but still find themselves haunted by what they were forced to endure. Today, we get a taste of what life was like for the young girls within the Children of God, and I think it's safe to say that this was anything but a religious experience. We are back. We are back for another episode, episode 33 of Sheer Crime. Here we go. My gosh. We're getting up there. We are getting up there. This is going so fast. I can't even believe that we have been live now for like, what, nine months? Has it been that long? Yeah, because it's been since October, early October. Yeah. And we've been recording since August. That's true. Crazy. That's true. We We're have been on a year. Yeah, of like <laughs> our whole idea coming to fruition. Oh my gosh. I love it. I know it's awesome. insane. So how has your week been? It's been great. Short, which is always nice. Yes. Right after Memorial Day weekend. It's it's a short, nice week. Um, what about you? Same. I have been super busy. We're planning the baby shower for this yes, weekend. Yes, you are. I have also dove headfirst into the show The Handmaid's Tale. I heard that's really good. Girl, first of all, don't watch it with your kids. (laughs) My daughter walks in at every inappropriate moment there possibly could be. And the whole show is not like that. But there's enough of it where she walks in every time. And I'm like, come on, you're ruining it. Why is this happening? Yes. But oh my God, I'm obsessed. I'll have to check it out. You're going to have to. I have a tough time getting out of the office and King of Queens. Like... What is wrong with me? So this is very different. I, <laughs> I figured it would be. Very different. When you need something a little bit deeper. There we go. That's what this is. There but yes, go. I have my like lighthearted shows that I just know I can turn to. You know, I think it's because I, I'm just an anxious person in general. So having those shows on just it's a sense of comfort. 100%. I think. And that's why it's always, always odd. It must mean I'm always with high anxiety. Or always have high anxiety. That or you just need to know what to expect <laughs> yes. at all times. Yes, you no. can laugh before it comes. I'm the same way. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I love this part. <laughs> and I know it's coming. Yep. All right. So what do you have to drink today? So today I actually took Shauna's recommendation and I got the new truly like punch pack yeah. that they have. And I have the fruit punch flavor today. So this is another hard seltzer. It is. In the truly genre. It is. And we actually bought them this past weekend. So I was able to try some of them and they're much stronger in their taste than the other Trulies. So I was a little 
shocked by it. I wasn't expecting it. It's it's more of like a, a juice taste. So like, okay, like a juice box, still seltzery. Yeah. But just has like almost like it tastes like more sugar. Okay. Like it's it's very interesting, but it's good. Where it's not just like a flavored water. Right. Like I feel like right. White Claw tastes like, which gag. Yeah. Sorry. Not a fan. of. Not white. a fan. I can't do it. <laughs> I just can't. I'm like, if I'm going to drink a LaCroix, I'm going to drink a LaCroix. I don't want right. a White Claw posing as a LaCroix. Right. No, 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 not at all. All right. So I am back again with another cherry limeade. They're the best, though. I've got or a LaCroix cherry lime or whatever. I do have another flavor upstairs, but I was I needed to get through these ones first. Yeah. So maybe in the next week or so, I'll have a we'll new flavor. It up. We'll switch it up. OK, perfect. <laughs> but at least I have a can to open. There we go. Let's pop our tops. All right. Hmm. Yeah. That it's really hard to explain what that tastes like. Really? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It does not taste like a normal truly at all. No. Totally I, different. I bet it's pretty good, though. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. If nothing else, I mean, if you need to harden it up a little bit, I can go eat you some vodka. Right. <laughs> I got a bunch. <laughs> we haven't touched it. <laughs> oh, we don't need vodka, Kenzie, here, I don't think. Ooh. Things could get interesting. We already know what happens when I have too much wine. So vodka Kenzie is going to be a whole different kind of crazy. Let me tell you. Oh, <laughs> see, one day, once once he's born, we're going to have a vodka we'll night. Shots. Yes, vodka. we'll do a we'll have to do like a Minnesota. There we go. Where we just take shots. Yeah. Shot, 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 shots. <laughs> Everybody. Oh, my goodness. OK. All right. So. Why don't you start us off? Technically, this is episode three in the series yep. on cults and extreme belief. We skipped episode two on Jehovah's Witness. Just for now. Just for now. We just wanted to go with something that was a little less known. I don't think a lot of people have heard of the children of God. I had not before we did this. So this was completely new to me. I didn't even know Jehovah's Witnesses were considered a cult either. <laughs> I mean, I think you could almost lump in almost any religion yeah. that way. But yeah. yeah, there's certainly some things about them that make them more culty than others. Mm-hmm. I had only heard of Children of God because I had watched, I believe it was on Netflix. It was a documentary about the Children of God. And it was about like an hour and a half long. And it was about a family who had lived through it, I believe, down in South America. Okay. So they were not close to the leader. But they like pretty much I think they raised all of their children mm-hmm. in it and mm-hmm. all of this stuff. And so you got to hear a lot about that. Oh, I'm sure. So I was like, oh, interesting. I do know a little bit about this one. Well, and this was interesting, too, because it kind of takes place all over the world. Yes. In many different countries. So that was really kind of a curveball. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting it to be somewhere here. Yeah. Or US. like a small area. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Where like everybody is in like one spot. Right. Yeah, no, this is much bigger than I think a lot of people realized. For sure. All right. With that, why don't you start us off? Perfect. So we meet Amy Brill. She is actually the one telling us the story, basically the main character. Right. In this episode, she is obviously a former Children of God member. We learn right off the bat that Amy is back at her childhood home and she's planning an event for a friend of hers who had also been in the cult but was now deceased. So kind of like a a memorial service for her. Yeah. 
And we see a photo of Amy's dad, who's Jeremiah. Amy tells us that when her dad was 14 years old, he met David Berg and his family on Huntington Beach right before they created the Children of God. So he was at the very beginning of this cult. I mean, before it even really started, he was kind of one of the first members. Yeah. Her dad was a really good singer, so he was actually a perfect fit in helping with this Jesus movement that Berg was trying to create. Yeah. He would help inspire other young people, hippies and runaways, to see this new way of life and to bring them in, right? You need to get more members. So he was really a big help in getting more members into this cult. I don't even want to say religion because it's a cult. Right. It's definitely not a religion because it's it's supposed to be a form of Christianity. Right. In their mind. Right. But really fucked up and twisted. Well, yes. It's picking pieces and running with those and ignoring the rest. And, you know, Amy even says that at the beginning it was fun. It was a fun experience. It was really about praising God. There wasn't any of this weird shit going on yet. Right. right? Because this was, it was brand new. It was really, they had to be like a lighthearted type of group to get people to join. Right. I mean, that was, that was the whole thing behind it. Yeah. And I think at that time in the world, people were looking to become part of a movement. Right. I think we're seeing that again now. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Because this is back in like the 50s and 60s era. Yeah. So things were a lot different then. Very different. We meet Stephen Kent, who's a PhD. He's a sociologist and another cult expert. Seriously, where can I get that title attached <laughs> to the end of my name? <laughs> you have to do some sort of studies, I'm sure. But Damn I love it. it. I'm obsessed with it. He tells us that the 1960s was a period of cultural turmoil for American youth. This was, again, back in, like, Vietnam time. There was war. Lots of just... Unrest. Unrest and division, I think, between everyone, right? I mean, they wanted it to stop and kind of, like, there's still that, like, peace mentality. Like, this needs to end. So, yes, there was a lot of turmoil then. David Berg had used the language of the counterculture to present his own views on Christianity. And Jesus was the ultimate revolutionary for this religion. He talked about Jesus a lot and, you know, really made that a staple in this so-called religion. Yeah. Amy tells us that music was a huge part of this cult as well. They actually had several bands all over the world that would sing about the children of God. And one of their bands in France even had a top-selling album called The Bible. Isn't that crazy? It is so crazy. We heard a little bit of it in the documentary. Yeah. And it was very hippie-ish. I mean, it's super sounding. 60s. It's so, yeah, so 60s. But yeah, they, they had actually a really great band in France back then. Yeah. We get some on-screen text that says, David Berg's teachings soon gave rise to 130 communes around the world. Okay, how does one do that without social media? I literally don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, how did he possibly do that back then? Remember when the H.H. Holmes detective went and found all of the children all over fucking yes. North America? How? I don't understand this shit. Like, no. What was happening then? How we are did so people... lazy now. <laughs> We're lazy or dumb. One of the two. I, I don't I know. I think it's both. Really. I think it's just layered on top. You know, you cover up some of the uh, dumb with some more lazy. Well, They traveled a lot. So I think that really helped because, again, we hear about them being in multiple different countries, literally all over the world. That's true. So but still, 
Well, and like it makes it difficult. To- well, and it just came to my brain like, how did Jesus <laughs> spread the word of Christianity? Right. Without anything back right. then, he fucking traveled by foot <laughs> from village to village, town to town, right. preaching. Okay. Right. Well, we're going to pretend that I knew that the entire time <laughs> and remembered that that's yeah. how people did things back then. <laughs> and we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was embarrassing. <laughs> Amy tells us that most of David Berg's teachings were communicated through his writings called Mo Letters. Well, shit, there's the other answer. <laughs> I did not read through my notes prior to (laughs) reading them out loud. I love this. So we see one of these Mo letters like on the screen. It's it's not the real thing. It's like an animated version of it. That's what they are. It was really weird looking. They were almost like cartoonish. Yes. It looks like a... Like Like a a comic book almost kind of a thing. Like a comic book. Yeah. And he named himself Father Moses David. Ew. Yeah, Don't fucking call yourself Moses if that's not your goddamn name. I, I think it's only because he had the beard that he thought he could get away with it. <sighs> oh, oh, this Which, guy. I know. Ugh. He just every time he came on the screen, I thought I you need it. a shower. You need to be like disinfected from lice because <sighs> you just look like a dirty old man. Yes. And that's exactly what he is. Yeah. Amy goes on to say that he would talk for hours about orders and policies and his interpretation of scripture. Orders. I'm sorry. Absolutely not. Leave. Lost me. Yeah. Leave. Yeah. Like policies. That is what I hate. I hate when people go to these religions that have all these orders and rules and it shouldn't be like that. No. Like it shouldn't be like that at all. You know, like your religion can be whatever it is to your own self. You don't have to follow these things in order to get into heaven. Not how it works. Other than like the Ten Commandments, right? Sure. Which I think are pretty universal throughout pretty much every real religion out there. Yeah. It's the same concept, right? Right. Don't be an asshole. Right. Don't kill people. Right. Like, it's all kind of the same thing. But it starts to get weird and culty when they have to make these orders and rules and order and enforce them because if they don't then you're gonna fucking leave right exactly and And they start brainwashing you right yeah now david actually thought of himself as a king a prophet a shepherd a mountain man a fighter a teacher a papa lion grandpa and much much more. Yeah. Pretty much anything you can think of, he oh, considered himself. my God. He was the one who wrote this, you guys, on one of these fucking Mo letters. Yeah. Okay? He wrote this about himself. Yeah. So he's basically telling people what he thinks about himself because yeah. he just is obsessed. But it's apparently, you know, intervention from God. Right. He's, he's become, right. you know, he's got that divine. Like he's he's the living version yes. of Jesus on earth. Right. Yeah. Like, he's so powerful. It makes me sick. I know. It literally makes me want to, like, gig. I just, It makes me wonder, like, do people like that always feel that way? Like, as a child, do you feel that way? Or do you suddenly, like, as a teenager, you're like, I am so much better than everybody else on this planet. You know what I mean? I think it's like a switch. And I think, especially if you know how to manipulate people at a young age and you know that you're good at it. Then you realize that you could probably do this with a lot of people yeah. and get them to believe you. And they will. And we've seen it happen multiple times in multiple different cults, you know? Yeah. And this guy, though. 
I know. There's nothing special about him. Like, there's nothing that, like, stands out like, oh, he's, like, a really great salesman. He's He's the smartest guy in the world. He's got the highest IQ. Right. There's (laughs) nothing that, like, sticks out to me about this guy. So it really, I mean, he just seems like a, he's very fucking hardcore and, like, screaming when he's talking in the mic. Because we hear a few recordings and it's like, Jesus, you are really. (laughs) No, no, it's David. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to catch me on that. Like, calm it. Calm it down. You're at like a nine. We're going to need you down at like a three. Yes, that's where we need you. We get some on-screen text that says David Berg used illustrations from his Mo letters to help communicate his beliefs to his followers. One of the more radical Mo letter series was called Flirty Fishing. Already fucking hate it. (laughs) Already fucking hate it. Hate the name. When we're talking about a religion here and you have to use the word flirty. Right. No, fucking no. Run the other way. For sure. Get out. The only fishing I want to hear about is how somebody real famous fed a fuck ton of people with three fish. There we go. That's all I want to hear about. That's all I want to hear. Amy said that the concept of flirty fishing started in the 70s where they would use sex appeal to get supporters from the outside world. Sounds normal. Again, This is not a fucking religion, people. Not when you're being told to go do this. This is a sex cult. It like literally it's plain as day right there. Using sex appeal to get supporters from the outside. Sex cult. (laughs) Yep. We get some more on screen text that says Berg used this prostitution or quote unquote flirty fishing as a way to enrich the children of God and recruit new members. We meet Anna Carpenter. She's a former member of the Children of God as well. She says that they were taught it as if God has given you this body to use in this way, as if it was almost like your duty in life to do this, your God-given duty. And to specifically make men happy. Right. Strangle this motherfucker. Right. I'm sorry. Women are more than just their fucking bodies for men to use. I am sorry. Piss me off. I'm already hating it. We are 10 minutes in. This is, <laughs> this shit is no go for no, me. No, no. Well, and she also goes on to say that David's main goal was wanting to bring in big fish or kings, if you will, to donate to the group. Because, of course, none of them are working, right? So right. they needed to get money and funding somehow, and right. it worked. I mean. Of course it did. You're prostituting your body for money. It's going to work. On-screen text tells us that the children of God claim to have fished over 223,000 men and women. 223,000, you guys. Yeah. How? How? How is this fucking possible? Sex sells. Oh, my God. I... Uh, I'm just... What do you think you're becoming a part of? When, When that is what they're selling to you, what... And they're claiming it to be a fucking godly religion. What do you actually think that you're walking into? Well, and I don't think all of those people walked in. I think a lot of them just gave money to help fund. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. Amy goes on to say that he was constantly coming out with these new revelations. Another one that came out right around the same time as Flirty Fishing was something that David called the law of love. We actually hear the voice of David Berg on one of his videotapes that had been circulated around like 1976. And it says, 
no longer under the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments. Just this one law of love fulfills all ten and the rest of them put together. Then there's a picture that pops up on your screen of a woman in like bondage type chains. And above this picture is a picture of two small children holding hands and like making out. It is sick. They're drawings. So at least it's not real people. But yes, it's sick. It is sick. You know exactly what he's trying to portray here without actually saying it. And I even quoted his exact words and I got fucking lost. I didn't understand a goddamn word he said. Maybe that's why I (laughs) condensed him. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is verbatim what he said. Okay. We're no longer under the laws of Moses. We're no longer under the Ten Commandments. Just as one law of love fulfills all ten and all the rest put together. What the fuck? Law of love fulfills all ten and all the rest put together? What's all the rest? I thought the ten was the rest. Apparently there's a lot more than ten. The fuck is he talking about? Who knows? He... I quoted a lot of what he said, and he does not make goddamn sense. None of them do. None of them do. The oh, leaders are always the ones that never know how to fucking talk. <laughs> Why? And the rest of us are going, huh? Like, what And happened? his followers are like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Stephen Kent comes back on and says that Berg really seemed to have believed that he boiled down all of Scripture to this one thing, the law of love. This was to encompass all that Christianity was. As long as people acted in the context of love, he was able to justify any behavior that happened, including any of the sexual behaviors that were going on. We do hear another quick voice excerpt of David Berg, and he goes on to say, and I quote this one, I practice what I preach and I preach sex, boys and girls. Hallelujah. Ew. I, after this, after he said that, I go, I'm assuming this old fuck is dead, but I still want to knock him out for even yeah. saying that. Yeah. Why? It, I hate it. I know. I abso- he is literally talking to the children in this yeah. audio video, right? He's not talking to the adults within this quote unquote religion. No. He's literally talking to these little tiny kids, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Telling him that, you know, that's what you need to do. You need to have sex. Yep. It's like, knock him the fuck out. Who's not doing that? Fucking fire him. A lot of them. God damn it. A lot it. of them didn't do it. Oh, and this bitch, this whole thing is still a thing. It's people still are a thing. still in this fucking religion. Get rid of them. Get rid Kill of these them all. fucking people. God damn it. <laughs> the shit needs to end. His wife is still alive, you guys. Oh, okay. I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> And there's no wine at all included here today. <laughs> but I'm whining. I'm whining. I'm upset. This man pisses me off. Damn I'm so it. Sorry. Should I be practicing law of love in some way? I don't know. Is there something I could do? No. Okay. No. Amy comes back to say that he very cleverly convinced those in his inner circle that he was this prophet, this visionary, and that he'd liberate them all from these quote, shackles of society. When in actuality, they were just being a liberated sex cult. That's all they were. Again, we hear another little voice of David Berg, and he says, make your body my temple and I will come in. This is the temple of God today, to which I wrote, ew. Fucking sick. So cringy. Ick, because I could see like his face when I said that. 
Because that's what I thought of. Okay, and his and I will come in. No, I know. Eh, God, I know. there's two meanings there, people, and he's fucking disgusting. And that's the temple of God because you're inside me. Get the fuck out. Ew. 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 On-screen text says, in 2004, the Children of God changed their name to the Family International. Today, they have members in over 80 countries. We meet Elizabeth Vargas. She's the one who kind of runs this series. Yes. And she says how striking it was, how open Berg was on his controversial teachings. Basically, sex is love and should be spread to everybody, to which I wrote much like STDs. And as long as sex is done with love, it's always okay. Amy responds by saying, growing up in it, you just kind of take what you're told as, you know, parents know best. She says as second generation, they did have some questions, but there were always safeguards in place for that as well. Such as if you doubt your leader, you're going to be ostracized or punished. And there was a lot of peer pressure within the cult society. Of course, because again... A lot of these people from the beginning were super brainwashed into believing everything this guy said. And they truly, truly believed he was a living prophet. Yeah. Like he was sent down from God to help save everyone. Right. So growing up in this cult, that is all you know. Right. Now, you start to see the weird things that come up, but they're not going to let you continue to talk about those things because then you're going against God. Absolutely. Then you're defying him. That, you know, then they, they threaten you and you're scared, especially when you're young. You're, you're scared. You don't want to be threatened and left alone and thrown out. And where what are you going to do? Right. Totally just terrorized these poor kids. Absolutely. And they were so isolated from right. everybody else and really like engulfed in this lifestyle that a lot of them yep. really did not know any different. Nope. They just I think there was an innate feeling of something is wrong here. Yeah. A human being feeling like right. this isn't right. right. And when they keep you from everyone in the outside world, oh, that's a red flag. A little bit. So we get Amy Brill talking again, and she is telling us her story. So her parents were teenagers when they had her. She was one of the first children born into this cult. And at eight years old, she was living in France and had been invited to this recording type of studio in Greece that David Berg was overseeing. They created this show called Music with Meaning Club Party. And after this recording was done, they went back home and quickly got a letter from David Berg asking if Amy could come back to the recording studio, but without them. Yeah. Hell Send your eight-year-old daughter back to Greece without you, please. They let her go. They did. As they always do. From then on, she was called back to this recording studio almost daily. Now, as soon as she was away from her parents, they started teaching her the sexuality side of the cult. Because, of course, they can't have her parents around. Well, no. They don't want the parents to know what's going on here, right? No, because parents, even if they are told that this is part of the religious experience, are going to have that instinct To defend their children. Right. And to protect them. Or you would hope. Anyway. Oh, my God. Yes. You would hope. Now, children suffered the most because there were no barriers between the adults and the children. You could have sex with whoever the hell you wanted to, basically. Yep. 
these children who were as young as eight years old had to endure lots of sexual advances from adult members of the cult. I will say this again. How the fuck is an adult human being sexually attracted to a fucking eight-year-old child? Seriously, I don't get it. Kill them. Fucking cut their dicks off. Bury them alive in the backyard. My God, these people need to get off this fucking planet. I know. I will never understand that. These kids are babies. They're babies. They have baby bodies. Why? Right. Why is that? Why is that? Why is sexual? that attractive? Why? It's not. Oh God, I I cannot I cannot get over this. This shit pisses me right the fuck off. Well, and they are showing on there one of these mo letters, right? And there's this little like picture. Of these two kids kind of like whispering. One's whispering in another's ear. And the text bubble above her head says, I watched mommy and daddy do it. It's lots of fun. And then the little boy is responding with his text bubble saying, well, it's worth a try and my folks are gone. Like, what the fuck? And in this picture, these look like eight-year-old kids. Yeah, they do not. They're not teenagers. They're young. Sick. It is so sick. Now, when... Amy was at this music studio unit type thing. I, I can't really understand what it was. They didn't really. Put I called a it a recording studio, but it, it's not really like that, is it? I it, it was hard to understand what it really looked like, but it, it almost reminded me of like like a stage where they'd practice on, and then there would be like video recording, yeah, you know, material because this was all on video too. This wasn't just like hearing, like no, it was audio. a broadcast. It was a broadcast. It was an actual show. Yeah. One day when she was there recording, David Berg had sent out a letter called Glorify God in the Dance. All of these women were going to have to do a dance for his birthday. Yeah. Oh, my God. This just keeps getting worse. It's like he's fucking Hugh Hefner or he thinks he's fucking Hugh Hefner. I don't know. Worse because he had, he's attracted to, to, to children. children. Oh. I mean, at least Hugh had standards. Yeah. They were at least 18. <laughs> yeah. One part of the letter went into detail about what the women needed to do. Quote, so may we suggest that you come on stage wrapped from head to toe in your lovely veil and then just gradually begin to unfold its drapes and reveal your lovely beauty, end quote. So they were literally naked. Yeah. So they were completely naked and it was like a sheer shawl type of thing. It was it was very strange. Yep. Now, so because David told them to, these women started making these dancing videos So they weren't like physically in front of him because, again, they lived all over the world. Right. Okay. So they were making these personalized videos. They'd actually have a production crew come out, videotape them, make these videos and give them to to Berg. Yeah. So in the other documentary that I watched, what they would also do is have all of these like group orgy like parties. Oh, my God. And they would have someone come in there with a video recorder and you would see just a bunch of naked people laying around and all of the women are like, we love you so much, David. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, David. Like all of this weird fucking shit. And these were adults in these videos. But it's like, what? Can you imagine how stinky that would be? Can you imagine our uh. pastor asking for something like that? <laughs> no, but ta- thinking about an orgy with that many people, just smelly. <laughs> and I'm sorry. This is the 60s, the 70s. People didn't. Didn't take care of themselves that well back. <laughs> I mean, right. Like deodorant oh. maybe wasn't as used. I don't know. Yeah, and they're stinky. living in like communes. <laughs> oh, 
I can't think about it. I'm going to get sick. That's so gross. (laughs) But then, not only did he want these women making these dancing videos, someone, and I'm assuming it was Berg, came up with the idea to also include the children in these dances to him. Well, why not? Oh, my God. They have lovely bodies as well. Sick. And Amy recounted the video crew set up and started playing like two to three songs for her. And they would start with their veil on, then slowly start playing with it around while you dance nude. And we saw a little bit of the footage and she was like from behind. Yep. So it was like she was kind of like, I guess, teasing the video camera. Right. Completely naked. And she looks tiny. She is tiny. Oh, my God. I mean, I think she was between eight and 12. I can't remember the age range. Oh, my God. These are children. Yeah. I just, I cannot. I can't. I know. And sadly, Amy said that the children didn't even understand the sexual part to it. Like, they just thought it was another form of acting that they were already doing with this, you know, recording and this music ensemble that they had going on. Right. They were already used to performing. Yeah. So they didn't really know that it wasn't okay to be naked on camera. They didn't, they didn't understand that yet because, again, they're too young. Right. They don't get it. And they were all being groomed by this master pedophile, David Berg. Groomed is exactly it. Yep. We're back to seeing Amy and Elizabeth Vargas kind of conversing back and forth. And Amy's saying to her that back then they were introduced to a lot of sexuality through nude dancing, so on and so forth. But they had never been taught to say no. So very soon after... Unwanted touching followed as well. She says that, you know, at that time, you could try to, like, sneak away, you know, try to, like, cleverly get out of the way of somebody who is trying to do this to you. However, if a leader came and approached you, you'd almost be scared into doing it for fear of any ramifications later if you didn't. Of course. Stephen Kent tells us that he thinks that all of that was really there to prohibit emotional connections between individuals like parents and children. That's why they were separated. Yeah. So that there was nobody there to kind of stop it. Right. Or to be the, in the way. To be that barrier between what was going to fucking happen. Because people know it's wrong. Unless yeah. you're the fucking pedophile doing it, everyone else thinks it's fucking wrong. Yeah. And knows it's wrong and is going to fucking say something. Especially if it's their own kid. Well, and I'm going to even step out on a limb and think even the pedophiles know that it's wrong to an extent. Oh, yeah. Because why are they sneaking around doing that shit? You know what I'm saying? I think every single fucking person on this planet knows it's wrong. Yeah. But they just don't care. It's satisfying them sexually for some fucking reason. Right. And they don't care. No. They want their own satisfaction so that they don't care what it's doing to this fucking poor child traumatically for the rest of their life. It's It's changing them. That's not even to them. They don't care. No. It's all about them. Exactly. Yeah. Amy says that the closer you got to the top of leadership chain, the further away you got from your family and society. She says that the most isolated that she had ever been was while she was at the Berg's household. So she was about 13 years old and she had been called to actually join his household in the Philippines. So now she's in the Philippines. Why are her parents letting her go there? I don't understand. I don't either. My mom would never let me go to my fucking pastor's house. No. What? And to live there. That is not in acceptable. In another country. That is not acceptable. No. Not, oh my God, I, I don't understand why this is happening. Why? Well, 
The thing was, is that they felt that she had been chosen. So what she expected when she got there was to feel like she was in the presence of like divine deity, right? Like she was there in the presence of somebody who was so above her that she would just feel it. You know what I mean? Like the light of God. Right. However, she said when she got there, her first thought was how fat and old he was and how he was just a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because he is a sick fucking human being and you could sense that. Yes. You could fucking sense that. What Amy noticed was that everybody around him was all over his every word, a lot of them writing it down. His wife, Karen Zerby, recorded everything that he said to And he would frequently call women of the household up to his room one at a time on a rotating basis to spend time alone with him. One day, Amy was called into his room and was informed that she was to become one of his wives. She was 13 years old. There was no asking. There was no proposal. This was her being informed this is what was happening. This is so sick. So she says he puts this ring on her finger and she felt like she belonged to him, like a piece of property, not like they belong together, but like, holy shit, I'm his and I don't have a choice. And that's what he wanted them to think. He wanted them to feel like they were his property. So they couldn't tell him no. There wasn't any of that. What he said goes and what he wants, he gets. And that's how it is. Well, and right after that, Kenzie, she was made to have intercourse with him. Of course. It's so fucking beyond sick. I I just, and this old fucker, he was old as shit too at this time. Like, it's so sick. It is so sick. On-screen text says that six months after becoming Berg's child bride, Amy was sent away to live with another family in the organization. She says, thinking back, she wasn't always the most docile and accepting teenager out there. Right. Okay, who is? Most of them aren't. Right. (laughs) And she thinks that's why she was sent away. She was not upset about having to leave the household. However, she was really sad about having to leave behind Mary. Yeah. On-screen text tells us that David Berg's granddaughter, Mary Berg, grew up with Amy in The Children of God. They were right around the same age. We hear the voice of Mary Berg in an interview that said, quote, they put this silver ring on my hand and said, I now wed thee. I, David, now wed thee. I was one of his wives and I was his grandchild. He also wanted to have sexual relations with me, end quote. This gets even more fucked up, you guys. Okay, so not only is this guy having sex with children, He's having sex with his grandchildren. Yes, like his own flesh and blood. (sighs) Oh, my God. So now it's pedophilia and incest at the same fucking time. Yeah. Oh, my God. This motherfucker. Yeah. Amy tells us that she and Mary were both in the music unit and had lived with the same family once they were out of the household as well. They became sisters, essentially, because they roomed together. They traveled together. They had both been living at the household in the Philippines together. And she says that what happened to Mary never should have ever happened to her. On-screen text tells us that Mary refused her grandfather's sexual advances and was then subjected to severe punishment. 
Amy says that she ended up going crazy from all the abuse and had a complete mental breakdown. They shipped Mary off to a training camp to help her get rid of this demon that was possessing her, and they treated her very inhumanely. Of course, it would be a demonic possession. Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah, she she just doesn't want to be touched by her grandfather and or marry her grandfather, but now she's the possessed one. God forbid she have an emotional, a very strong emotional response to all of that trauma. Unbelievable. Another set of on-screen texts tells us, Believed to be possessed by a demon, Mary was sent to Macau, where she underwent a number of exorcisms. They actually showed us some documentation that they had believed were transcripts from her punishments that she had actually received. And some of them were, and I quote, slap you around and knock you around. God is angry with you, end quote. Another one was, quote, tie her to the bed, end quote. They didn't really go into much detail, but it was a very, very long written transcript. Yeah. And I can only assume it got much, much worse. It looked like a legal document with how much was yeah. written on there. Yep. On-screen text says that Mary's physical and psychological abuses became a cautionary tale to all who went against David Berg's beliefs. Isn't that fucked up? It's sick, and it's his goddamn granddaughter. Oh, my God. Where is his daughter? That's her mother. Like, what is happening here? I know. I kind of wondered that, too. They never, they never ever sp- said anything well, about if it. She, if, she, if she was a good mother at all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? Amy goes on to say that her worst experience while being in this cult was being powerless over helping the people that she loved. And it proved to her how horrible they could be to someone so sweet and vulnerable, such as Mary. Another set of on-screen texts tells us that Mary was sent away from the children of God in 1990 at the age of 18. She died at age 45 on December 16th of 2017. We're back at Amy Brill's home where Anna Carpenter is coming to visit her for Mary's memorial service. On-screen text says that former members from the Children of God are gathering together for a memorial service in Mary's honor. Anna tells us that she didn't know Mary personally. All they knew was her image growing up and her story afterwards. And she was almost put on a pedestal of like a celebrity-type status because she was David Berg's granddaughter, and she went against him. Right. Well, in growing up, I mean, she was this like little golden haired, mm-hmm. blue eyed girl. And my guess is she was put front and center in a lot of those broadcasts. For and sure. Videos and stuff that, you know, they would do with all the singing. And we saw a lot of video of her when she was younger. Right. On screen text tells us that during a 1995 custody proceeding involving another family from the group, Mary testified about the abuses she witnessed in the Children of God. Anna goes on to say that when Mary got out of the cult, she was really involved in a court case against David Berg and the abuses that were happening with the Children of God organization. Later on, they had heard how difficult her life became as an adult. She had been living on the streets. She was addicted to drugs and alcohol and really on the brink of death. But she was somehow able to come back from that. So that's not actually how she died. She didn't die as a homeless person on the street. Right. She did come back from that, but she still led a really, really tough life and died at a really young age. Yeah. Amy thinks her early death had something to do with PTSD and the condition she was in after all her drug and alcohol abuse. That 
on top of having a mental illness right. does so much damage to your body and your body can only withstand so much. So that makes sense. Right. And I can see why she would try to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that she became an addict. Right. And I think a lot of these people have. Oh, 100%. That, that, that get out of cults. It's really hard to cope with this kind of stuff. And I'm sure you have nightmares and things that you can't really control. So what do people try and do? They medicate. They try to, like, get these visions and these memories, you know, out of their brain. But it only works for a short period of time. Right. And I would say pretty much anybody who deals with any kind of, like, childhood sexual trauma. For sure. Tends to. Absolutely. Or they have a higher chance. Right. Of leaning that way. Anna says that the suicide rate with ex-members is super high. Whenever they hear that one of their friends, who had also been a former member, passes away, they immediately think that it's suicide. Right. How horrible. Right. Like, oh you never God. think, oh, car accident. Yeah. You know, something. No, they first thing they assume is it's it had to have been suicide. Because they all are experiencing probably a lot of the same mental trauma. And issues in their life, right? Right. Because I, I don't know that going through something that is this traumatic can ever fully be fixed. I think I think you work on it day to day. I think it's something that gets better over time, but I don't think it's ever something that gets fixed. I think oh, literally no. it changes your brain chemistry because 100%. especially as a child, yeah. like that's when you're the most sponge-like, right? Like, you you soak up everything that people tell you. And when you have these horrible experiences that happen to you, it's really hard to get that shit out of your head. Because Absolutely. Because it's, it's now stuck and ingrained in your brain. Especially when you've been indoctrinated into it. Right. Exactly. Amy said that this cult doesn't have any remorse for what they did and have done nothing to help former members recover. That does not surprise me at all. Why would they? They're still going. Why would they want to try and help people that are against them. They're not going to do that because they don't think they've ever done anything wrong. They literally come out and say that they've never had done any child abuse. They they don't believe in that. They would right. never do that. Like fucking liars, all of them. Yeah. Elizabeth says to Amy, Mary didn't commit suicide, as we already know, yep. but many people have. How many do you think? And Amy, without skipping a beat, says, I know about a hundred either by name or by face, that have taken their own lives. A hundred people. A hundred. And honestly, like, Elizabeth's face when she says that was like... Total disbelief. You're kidding. There's no way. That's a lot of fucking people to suicide. Right. That's not counting any of the other ways that they could have gone, right? Amy says, you know, that's a lot. And I would also put into that category any of the ones that are suffering from addiction, who died from addiction. Because... In her mind, it's a form of suicide because they're trying to numb that pain and that PTSD, and it gets to a point where it just gets to be too much. Yep. Amy says that in her mid-20s, she got the news that her father had actually committed suicide. Now, remember, he'd been in it since the beginning, right? Right. He'd been shunned for disagreeing with leadership, and because of that, felt rejected. I mean, it devastated him. I mean, he was like 17 or less when he started this whole thing. Like he was he was fully in this and he fully in it to the day he died. Like he thought that this was his place. Yeah. This is why he was like on this earth was to be a part of this religion. So he thought. And now he's been ostracized and rejected from the group and he can't come back. And I mean, that's really tough for a true believer. Absolutely. Of something like this. Like that's really, really hard. I mean, think about your entire family. And everybody Mm -hmm. you know just suddenly turning their back on you. Yeah. I mean, that would be very, very difficult. 
and she thinks that he just couldn't handle the reality of that. So at his funeral, which was actually in Germany, she was able to reconnect with a couple of friends of his, people who had been friends with him up until the day he died. Yeah. They were Ron and Annika, a married couple, also former members. Yep. They told her right away when they saw her at the funeral that they would help her if she ever needed a place to land if she wanted out of the cult. We see some text on the screen that says that Ron and Annika have helped more than 50 members leave and adjust to life outside of the cult, including Mary and Amy. Mary had came to them a lot throughout the years asking for help, and they had actually been considered enemies of the group. Oh, yeah. And were even written about in their letters. Yeah. Which, in a way, almost worked as free publicity for them into their being able to help others who wanted out. I think that they were thinking that, okay, these people will steer clear of them and make sure to to not talk to these people. But it kind of did the opposite. Yeah, it kind of (laughs) gave them, like it's shown a light on them and what they could do to help. And it told the members that there is a life outside of this. Like, especially when they knew it was so bad. Like, they knew that they could get out and they could live a different life than what they were living. Yeah. Ron and Annika tell us what led them to make the decision to leave the group. And at one point, leadership had approached Ron and said that there was a 12-year-old girl that was being haughty, high and mighty, really above, you know, where she should be. I mean, she's 12. That's kind of how they all That's are. normal. Yeah. You've met my daughter. Yes. She thinks she's the shit. Especially girls. Yes. Maybe not so much boys. They don't even really know what's going on at 12. No. <laughs> but a 12-year-old girl, they think they're awesome. Yes. So they come to Ron and they ask him to have sex with this girl to humble her, bring her back down to reality. Ron looked at the leader and said, you want me to have sex with a child? You go fuck yourself. And if I hear of anyone having sex with her, you're going to answer to me. Annika is telling us that Ron is not somebody who cusses <laughs> and still doesn't cuss yeah. to this day. But this was how much that upset him. I loved watching this interaction because it was Annika telling us this story yeah. about Ron. And Ron's just like staring there looking at her. And then they pan back over to Ron. And he's like nodding his head like these fuckers. Like, yep. I wasn't going to stand for the shit. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> That's what he was saying internally. It was so awesome. It was really well camera movement. They they did a great job with the camera. Yes. (laughs) So Ron came back to Annika and told her they could not stay in this place anymore. What he said was the most difficult thing was that they had to realize that this group that they were in and that they had kind of committed to was a mistake. And it was difficult to think about that and to walk away from something that you sort of thought you would be doing for the rest of your life. Right. 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 It's almost like you have to start living a new life. Like you have to start over. And when you're older, it's hard to do that when you've been living a certain way for a long time, following these rules, following these orders. And now all of a sudden it's gone. It's tough. Right. I mean, thankfully they had each other. Yes. That probably made it easier to like, you know, get back on their feet again and like, you know, get jobs and all that kind of stuff. But that's why it's so scary for these people to get out because they don't know what the outcome is going to be. Are they going to be homeless? Are they going to be able to eat? Are they going to be able to find a job? Most of them don't even have full educations. Right. You know, so it it makes it really hard for them. Yeah. Amy tells us that 
when they talk about somebody leaving, they always make it seem like you are turning your back on God and bad things are going to happen to you for that. Of course, because they they do not want to get this shit out in the open. No. They know if you leave, you're going to start spewing all their bullshit. Right. So they have to threaten you in some way and make you scared and hopefully get you to stay. That's what these cults do. Ron and Annika estimate that they have helped about 50 people over the last 20 years. They said the main thing they try to remember is to remain non-judgmental. They go on to tell a story of this time that Mary had called them from the train station to come pick her up. And they went and picked her up, brought her back to their house. They stayed up chatting until, you know, four in the morning. And at that point, Mary tells Annika that she had actually been planning to go over to their house and to kill herself that night. But once they sat down and talked, she really felt like she wanted to live instead. She felt like there was more hope than she had originally thought there was. Oh my gosh, could you imagine something like that happening? No, could you you imagine having somebody kill themselves in your house? No, but just like being there for someone and not really thinking of your impact that you're like doing for their whole life. Like you could change their whole outlook on life just by talking to them or, I mean, that's why people need to be nice to people. Like, yeah. This is what we need in this. Not world. overly nice. That's weird. No, not overly nice, but I mean, this just is don't just be a dick. amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, this is just this whole storyline is like wow. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, Amy says that they need more people like Ron and Annika in this world because they give resources and guidance for those lost souls that have been looking for a way out. I mean, they truly are wonderful people. Oh, I mean, they are real. out to help. I mean, they're just good-hearted people. You don't see enough of them today. No. And she goes on to say that something that you kind of brought up a minute ago, that David Berg and the organization did this. They bred all of these children into this organization and never provided them with any skills to live on the outside. Well, and that was another question I had. So these kids weren't made to go to school and maybe it was because they were in these other countries that maybe weren't as developed or, you know, maybe they didn't check on the kids. Who knows? But it's like, here, you go to prison for not putting your kid in some sort of school. If That's you don't, if people know that you have that child. Right. Which most people do, right? I mean. What if you had a child at home? You don't register them anywhere? Oh, I guess. There's yeah. no record. I mean, there are ways. There are ways. It doesn't happen often no, no. here, here in the U.S. anyway. Right. But maybe that's how they got away with it because none of these kids were actually registered. But it yeah. would seem that like none of these people actually really thought it was a cult. So why wouldn't they go to the hospital, have their babies like normal? You know, because like maybe it's a religious experience. Oh, my God. I, I just can't. I can't say I can't stand. I know. But, you know, that's yeah. how they probably got it around is, yeah. it, too. That's, that's probably how they, they thought about it. Because yeah. it was a re- this religion Ugh. that they could kind of get away with whatever the hell yeah. they needed to in the name of their religion. Right. We see a quick clip, this home video of this gentleman named Ricky Rodriguez, and we see him loading a gun, and it looks bad. I mean, yeah, the way he's talking, he looks very erratic, very mentally unstable, it doesn't sit right when you kind of watch this because he's kind of telling his story very sternly. You can tell that he's pissed. He's mad. He's upset at the world. He's there's just something wrong. Something snapped. Yeah. To me, he almost looked too confident to be doing what he was doing. Yeah. Like he seemed really comfortable. 
with doing that video. And it almost seemed like he had done something like that previously. Potentially. tried to do yeah. something like that previously. Because, yeah, I agree with that. And it wasn't that long ago because it was time-stamped 2005. Right. We actually get some on-screen text that says Ricky Rodriguez was David Berg's stepson. As a child, Ricky was abused and forced to have sex with Mary, his nannies, and other members of the Children of God. David Berg used Ricky's upbringing as a model for how to raise children. The day after this video was recorded, Ricky murdered one of his former nannies and then committed suicide. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. It's so sad. And he probably was, what, late 20s, early 30s? If that. Yeah, he was young. He was young. He looked young. Oh, And they were showing pictures of him as like a toddler. I'm talking like two years old being held by David Berg. Can you imagine? Now, obviously, we all know that a nanny is somebody who takes care of a child. How old was he? Was he eight, nine, ten, being made to have sex with these older women? Or younger? Like, who Or younger. Like, how old? Uh, I don't know. It's all so fucked up. But you can tell that something is is wrong with him in this video. Like, he, Oh, yeah. He, and he knows it. Yes. Yeah. And that I think that's why he recorded himself. Because yeah. he wanted people to know what this shit did to him. Yeah. And he knew something was wrong. Yeah. We're back at Amy's house for Mary's memorial service and another person arrives at her home. We get some on-screen text that says, on the eve of Mary's memorial service, Amy has invited a group of former Children of God members to speak about the abuses that continue to plague the cult. We meet Whisper. She's one of the former Children of God members. What a name. Why does that name creep me out? Not because, I mean, okay, it's kind of cute. However, it seems so like when you know it's like a pedophilia type ring. Oh, yeah. And you name her Whisper. Well, and they didn't give her a last name. So I don't know if that's because she wanted to keep her anonymity a little bit. I mean, we see images of her, so I I don't know how we wouldn't know who she is. But she didn't have a last name. Share. Yeah. (laughs) Just one name. She just has one name. Well, Whisper tells us that they had been put through such torment and turmoil during their childhood that they are all still dealing with the after effects of it. Another set of on-screen texts tells us that Amy's other friend has chosen to remain anonymous. She has agreed to appear on camera to honor Mary's legacy. So we see this anonymous friend. Her face is, you know, fogged out yep. and her voice is distorted. So we can't you can't really tell who she is. Yep. She says that many of them were going through this recovery and have changed their opinions about what they want. Having watched so many people lose their lives trying to find justice changes things. All they want is for it to stop. They are a community of survivors that are just helping each other not die. Yeah. Oh, my God. That, like, ripped out my heart. I know. Like, they're not just trying to, like, be a support system. They're literally trying to help each other stay alive. Yeah. That just, like, gives you, like, a little bit more insight into how fucked up this shit was. Right. Like, we only know the top surface level. Oh, yeah. We're only getting, you know, a couple people's versions. Yeah. And it's not in great detail. No. And we're not hearing about how often this shit happened. Was it daily? You know, like, we don't know. No. Did it happen with multiple people on a daily basis? Right. You know, we don't know. It's horrible. We see them kind of gathered in Amy's 
living room. They're all kind of chatting about their experiences. And we see Whisper speaking out. And she says that she wants to not only make this story about what happened to them, but what didn't happen to them, that they didn't have an education. They didn't have a community or a family to back them up or any means to get a job. They really had nothing to go off of. And that's where it's hard for them to leave again. They have nothing. They don't have anywhere to like start from, you know? Yeah. I mean, had they left back in the seventies, they could have done anything. They could have gone to Harvard, (laughs) but now leaving in the eighties, they're requiring background checks. Right. And, right. you know, there's a little references. bit more. <laughs> there's a little bit more. There's a little more. She tells us that that's what keeps people stable is if you don't have that, then you will have people committing suicide because they don't know what else to do. Well, yeah, they feel like they're lost. Right. Their entire world was taken away from yes. them. And now they're what in limbo and they have nothing to rebuild it right. like they're literally or starting no way from the to ground. like even start right they How wouldn't have start? any idea right on-screen text says in 1988 facing negative pr and legal exposure david berg publicly denounced all policies and practices involving sex with minors they even came out with an official statement in 1988 quote We do not approve of sex with minors and hereby renounce any writings of anyone in our family which may seem to do so. We absolutely forbid it. Moses David. Oh, I fucking hate that he calls himself Moses. It pisses me off so bad. I know. I hate it. I hate it. Slap him upside the fucking head. Like, chop his dick off. Bury him in the backyard. Strangle him with his own beard. (laughs) There we go. Oh, that beard stinks. You know it stinks. Like, you know it stinks. And it's gross. It's an old, so... dirty, gross. It's like a freaking gnome beard Ugh. on an old, grody man. As serious. He has sticky balls and nasty. <laughs> he doesn't clean himself. He is gross. Does he have all his teeth? I bet he doesn't even have all his teeth. Oh, he's so gross, you guys. Did you ever see The NeverEnding Story? No. Huh. You're not going to know this reference. I'm going to pull it up real quick. <laughs> okay. Because you're going to be like, that's him. Oh, I got to see it now. Okay. For those of you who watched The NeverEnding Story, Engiwook, the guy who helps save Atreyu and nurse him and Falcor back to health, why does he remind me of that? Oh, he does. Yeah, he's a troll. He's a troll. Yes. His beard, all nasty. Oh, yes. Horrible. That's who I think of. Oh, but then... They send out an internal letter as well for members only that states, and I quote, as it says in the letters, if it's not hurtful, if it's loving, then it's okay. Of course, having actual intercourse with a child wouldn't be okay as it wouldn't be loving, but a little fondling and sweet affection is not wrong in the eyes of God. And if they have experienced the same in the past, they weren't, quote, abused, end quote. Huh? Oh, my God. That fucking sentence. A little fondling and sweet affection is not wrong in the eyes of God. Are you fucking insane? You are worshiping the goddamn devil, you motherfucker. Yep. You're not worshiping Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, that is so sick. A little fondling. You son of a bitch. Right. Son of a bitch. Anna Carpenter says that she experienced dealing with older men's advances a lot. 
And this was also when these publications had supposedly been thrown out. Right. Okay, so, and she was around 12 years old, and this man who had been advancing her was in his 20s, and he would kiss her and touch her. No. God damn it. Hit my fist. I'm pissed. Why? Why do you find a 12-year-old girl sexual? I'm sorry. This is so fucking obvious, and oh my God. I know. Whisper says that she had dealt with going through naked communion. What? Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. They told her that if she would just admit that she enjoyed it, she would get over the fear and embarrassment of having to strip naked in front of her peers. Oh, excuse me. Whoa. If she just would admit that she enjoyed it, she doesn't. She doesn't fucking enjoy this. She's a child and she doesn't understand what the fuck you're doing. Right. It's weird. Oh, my God. Why should I have to take my clothes off to be given a wafer right. and some wine? Right. What does this have to do with God at all? No. What, are, what are we worshiping right now in this religion? No, it's so messed up. We get another set of on-screen texts that says, Today, the organization maintains, quote, Our profound respect for children and the importance of their care is an integral part of our beliefs, end quote. No, it's fucking. I call bullshit. Not. It's fucking not. I'm sorry. Liars, fucking liars. Pants on fucking fires. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Elizabeth asks, how? How did this go on for so many years? Stephen responds by saying, probably in part because people didn't see it as sexual abuse. They basically saw it as part of God's way. And Elizabeth says, but no one in the outside knew about this? Yeah. And he says they probably did. But if you think about it, it's very difficult for someone on the right. outside to step in and try to do anything. Right. They can't They can't get access or get in, you know, and right. find this dirt out. No one's going to tell them shit. Right. right? They're going to kick their ass out because they know that they're going to open up the floodgates if they find out what's really going on behind those closed doors. Right. Amy tells us that many people have spent hours upon hours informing the FBI on these instances, on the abusers themselves, even their last known addresses. But it's very difficult to reach across the borders of different countries. And that's the big factor that a lot of people don't think about. We're forgetting that this is not happening in the United States. I mean... Of course it is. It is, but it's most it's Mostly all over all over in the Philippines. It's it's all over the damn place. So it's really really hard to prosecute someone when they're not here. Like right. how they're always scared. The FBI is terrified when someone's wanted in the US and they hop borders. It makes it a lot more difficult for them to prosecute or even get that person back into the country. Right. You know, cuz then they have to work with that country's law enforcement, tell them what's going on. That still might not work. So there's a lot that goes on behind it. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be such a nightmare. Right. In the legal system. For sure. Elizabeth says, when you read about the teachings, you know, how were there not a bunch of federal raids about this? And Stephen says, well, there were raids in various countries, but nobody was ever convicted for it. I mean, my guess is they had these children trained very well to deny anything that was said was happening. Right. Elizabeth brings up again that, you know, Mary was one of the first people to speak out publicly. And it must have been very powerful that she was speaking, given her status as the granddaughter of David Berg. Amy says everyone knew who she was 
and it made a very big impact. The fact that she was willing to stand up against her grandfather gave a lot of other survivors the courage to stand up later on. Because again, she was like a celebrity in that yeah. group. Well, it it meant a lot to the other members that someone so close to this quote-unquote prophet would stand up against him. Right. We're now at Mary's memorial, and people are talking about how she had always had a smile on her face no matter what had been going on behind the scenes or what darkness really lie behind that smile. That she was known for being an icon for standing up to Berg and that she went through the worst of the worst, but they could never crush her spirit and who she was. We do hear a little bit from Eve Brockman. She's an attorney who was there at the memorial service talking about how a lot of firms will get involved in things like this through pro bono work because this isn't a cult survivor escaping issue. It's a women's issue. It's a children's issue. It's human trafficking. Yes. Yes. And how do we fucking end this bullshit? Right. Ron and Annika even say that they are offering jobs to those who leave and need help through their business. They don't go into what they do, but how great. That is so awesome, especially someone who, you know, doesn't have the full education, doesn't have the work experience, doesn't really have any tools to work with. Like these people are like, no, we'll we'll train them. We'll make sure that they have a job, that they're making money, that they can live in this life. Like, I just love that. I know. So nice. So what they're doing essentially at this point is they're all kind of sitting around and beginning to come up with ways that they can each bring something to the table to start a group to help give resources to those in need trying to get out. Back in the studio, Elizabeth tells Amy that before hearing about this and doing this episode, she really had no idea how the sexualization of children was so rampant and condoned in this group. And she asks Amy, do you think anything has changed? And Amy says, A lot of the people that are still affiliated don't know much about the history of the people directly involved in this pedophilia. And Elizabeth brings up the fact that David Berg is now dead. His second wife is now the leader of the Children of God, that Karen Zarbi. And Amy says, but now by the name Family International. And I'm sure it's so far removed now, because remember, this was like way back in the 50s and 60s. And when a lot of this was happening, they they changed their scripture right in the 80s. So like people now that are in there might have no clue how it was back then. Right. Or yeah. don't feel the need to look or research, because even if you look on Wikipedia at Family International, it says formally children of God. Just right. fucking Google it. On screen text says that since 1968, The group formerly known as Children of God has adopted several names. Today, they're known as Family International and claim to operate in over 80 countries. Amy says that at her age, to have had so many peers lost is sad and distressing, but it makes her want to be more resolute in speaking out and carrying on the work to support those that need it. That's how she has come to bring some justice to her experiences. One reason she believes that a lot of people don't speak out about it is the sensationalism of these stories. Survivors don't need to feel ashamed, which is what is kind of a natural feeling, unfortunately. And they're allowed to talk about it and to find help. The very last bit of the documentary 
I caught a little bit of on-screen text and not surprising, it says that representatives from the Family International declined to respond to anything regarding this episode. And that is the children of God, as told by Amy Brill. This really was an eye-opening episode for me because, again, I didn't know much about this cult slash religion slash whatever the fuck organization you want to call it. Knew nothing about it. So it was, God, it's sick. Yeah. I I just, I cannot understand these fucking people. It makes me so mad. Thank God we're moving on to something different next week because I can't stand the pedophilia, the children. I I just can't do it. We got to get back to murder. We do. We got to get back to murder. Yes. We got to put this heavy stuff down and let's start talking about people being killed. (laughs) (laughs) So what are we going to talk about next week? Okay, so next week we are going to be doing the ABC News documentary Truth and Lies, the Menendez Brothers, American Sons, American Murderers. This one will be interesting. I am so obsessed with this case. Yeah. There's so much I have to say about it, and I have a lot of feelings about it. I will be interested to hear what you think, too, next week. I will be interested to hear as well, because I know, shockingly, not as much as I should know about it. Yeah. I think because I'm like one of those people where I'm like, oh, if everybody's talking about it, I don't want to know about it. Yeah, like too sensationalized. I don't really care. Yeah. Like I'm going to get into the office four years after it's no longer the office. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's the kind of person I am. But it is making a comeback in TikTok recently. It is. Which a lot is of people so are talking interesting. about like, it. Like someone is creating like an account for them. And like, yeah. it's it's weird. My daughter is obsessed with this case right now. Her and her friend, Kenzie, have requested that we do this episode. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. Yeah. So I guess this is a shout out to yeah. my kid and all of her 12 year old. And, friends. you know, stay tuned. It's going to be a good episode next week. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, as always, guys, for tuning in. We really, really appreciate the support and the downloads. I mean, we can't even believe that we are where we're where we are right now. We're it's, almost at twenty three thousand. It's amazing, and we really, truly appreciate the support. If you could, we would love to get a review. It really, really helps our standings on whichever platform you're listening. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, we just love the support from you guys, and we love hearing from you guys. And if you'd like a shout out, why don't you take a screenshot of that and send it to our email? Yes. Yes. We love to give shout outs. And if you don't already listen to our Minnesotans, we do give shout outs on there. Too. We sure do. <laughs> if you want to follow us on social media, we have our Instagram account, sheer underscore crime underscore podcast. Join us on Facebook at the Sheer Crime Podcast Discussion Group. We're having lots of fun there. Yeah. We're on Twitter at Sheer Crime Pod. We have our TikTok. We do. At Share Crime Podcast. And then again, email us at requests at sharecrimepodcast.com. That's all we have for you today. We'll be back next week. Stay safe, stay sane, and remember never run with scissors. Bye, guys. Bye.